0: If you're interested, okay, Exodus chapter 35, we are back and we are, this is the home stretch, y'all. We are going to finish next week. This is the longest series we have ever done at True Life Church. And if you're here next week for the end of it, uh, you get a medal. You get a medal for being with us for the entire deal. Um, as we get going, I, I'm learning that as, as a parent, there's two types of memories, two categories of memories that uh, we want our kids to have, uh, to think about growing up. There's, the first category is novelty memories, that's kind of the exciting things, the things that are out of the ordinary, the things that are like, oh wow, do you remember when we, you know, I took Kayla to LA for uh, a few days, a few years back, um, uh, Kayla and Jess just went to Delaware for a race together, those are novelty moments, things that are out of the ordinary, things that are exciting, things that are feel, feel like adventurous. It's psychologically speaking, there's studies that have been done that show that when you do something exciting with somebody or scary with somebody, like a scary movie or a roller coaster, you bond with them. There's something that bonds you to them in a, in a greater way. So me and the younger two watched Jaws recently. That was bonding. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. M- maybe it was a mistake, but it was fun. It was fun. They really wanted to do it. Um, so that was a, a novelty moment. Do you remember that time we watched Jaws? Um, and then there's another category, a whole different category, and it's almost the opposite. It's the consistency, it's the traditions, it's the routines that you look back on and you go, ah, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, um, the, the baking Christmas cookies every year isn't like a big wow in and of itself, but when you get older, you look back and it provided a sense of stability and security. Uh, I look back on, on growing up and I think about meatballs for dinner on Sunday nights, I think about us going to Ocean City, the the routine, the consistency. It wasn't a big wow trip, but it was just it was a regular summer trip. When I got to be 18 and I moved to L.A., um, I remember the first Thanksgiving being out there calling home. And it was like, man, I took that for granted. Just my parent, my mom was like, oh, we just finished dinner. And I was like, man, I miss Thanksgiving dinner. You take it for granted, but you look back and you go, thank God for the consistency, the the stability of those routines and those traditions. Well, I think it's the same with God. God is a God of wow. He's a God of the adventurous. He's a God of miracles. Uh, We saw this in the book of Exodus numerous times where he provided uh, these miraculous provision for the people of Israel. He made bread come out of heaven. He did these plagues on the Egyptians. He parted the Red Sea. And then he brought the Red Sea back together and crushed the Egyptians. So that was God flexing his muscles so that the Israelites would look back and go, wow. Remember, God was so faithful. He did these crazy things. And, and we talk about that in here. We want to be a people who expect God to do the extraordinary, who, who breaks the laws of science when he wants to. We want to be a people who are expectant for that. Uh, and we're going to talk more about the, the, the teachings and the miracles of Jesus in, in 2022. But on the other side, God is also a God of, of consistency and, and a God who calls us to just be uh, faithful with the everyday moments of our lives and, and to just believe that God is doing a work in the mundane, in the everyday. And, and the title of today, I'm, I'm calling Everyday Habits of Grace, three ways that you and I are called to participate in God's mission from Exodus chapters 35 and 36. That's the section that we're out. That we're at right now um, see next week we're gonna finish this and we're gonna see that the people build the tabernacle and we're gonna see what happens when they're done with it. And, and it and it's and it's a big Wow moment right but before they build the tabernacle as they prepare to build the tabernacle there's three things that I see God calls them to do and it's not really exciting but it's stuff that you and I are still called to do to participate in God's mission See, the tabernacle was where God would dwell on the earth. It's how God made himself present. It was this, this tent of sorts that they had to build. And how it's, it's where God made his presence accessible to the people of Israel on the earth. Pastor Rico's doing a class on the tabernacle right now in great detail. You and I are the new tabernacle. We talked about this last month. You and I are the new temple of God. You and I, who have trusted in Jesus, are how God dwells on the earth, through his spirit coming to live in us. The Bible calls us the new temple. We're the temple of God, the church on the earth. Follow me so far? And the mission of God is the presence of God in all creation. So he wants us to bring his kingdom through all creation, to bring hints and foretastes of heaven, to to continue to proclaim his good news so that more people become part of this tabernacle. And there's big things that we get to do. There's miracles that happen, but there's also everyday habits of grace that we are called to be part of that in and of themselves aren't that exciting. But when we do them faithfully and consistently over a lifetime, God uses them in profound ways. So, at that Let's dive in to this section, Exodus 35 and 36. And I'm hoping that everybody in here would, would be challenged in at least uh, one of these habits. Um, may, maybe you feel like, man, I got all three of these things down. That'd be great. That'd be great if that's the case. But even, even if you do, uh, chances are maybe your heart is in it for the wrong reason. Maybe there's a, 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 a self-righteous bent to it. Maybe it's just a, a, a wrong motivation. Uh, And so we'll talk about that. Um, So um, open up to Exodus 35. We're not going to go through these two chapters line by line by line. What we're going to do is look at these three habits as three different themes. So the first habit we're going to look at, we're going to start in Exodus 35, verse 4. If you have your Bibles, scriptures will be on the screen if you don't. Here we go. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, so remember, they're about to go uh, build the tabernacle, okay? Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. And onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breast piece. So Moses says to the Israelites, we need your stuff. We need your valuables. We need your resources for the building of the tabernacle. Now, some of this resources, some of this stuff, some of the wealth that they have right now came from the Egyptians. When they left Egypt, it said in chapter 11 that the Egyptians were like, here, take our stuff. Get the heck out of here. Leave us alone kind of thing. And so now God is saying, that stuff that I gave you, I want it back to build the tabernacle. And, and, and you know, they, they could have been tempted to think, you know, God blessed us with this. I don't think God would ask for it back. Not if he blessed us with this, right? I've, you ever do that? God gave me this. This is my, this is my job. This is my opportunity. This is, this, I gotta, I gotta hold on to it. God wouldn't ask for it back. God wouldn't ask me to let it go when he given me this gift. But that's clearly what's going on here. Moses is like, we need your stuff. But notice what it says. Let me back it up. Notice what it says. From what, uh, everyone who is willing. Look at verse 5, the end of verse 5. Everyone who is willing. So it's not mandated. you got to be willing. If you're willing to do it, then you'll do it. It's not for everybody. It's not a mandate. It's not give X amount. It's God saying, hey, if my mission is your mission, if you share my heart, if you want what I want, you'll give. You'll give. Now, how did they respond? Jump down to verse 20. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. So everyone who was willing, whose heart was moved, gave of their stuff. That's the first habit I want to point us to. The people of God regularly give cheerfully to God's mission. They give of their resources. They give of their stuff. They give of their wealth. They give of their money. We don't talk a lot about money in here. If you're, if you're here for the first time, we don't talk a lot about money. But we do talk about it sometimes. Because God says, hey, this is, this is my stuff. Everything belongs to me. If you belong to me, then your money belongs to me. And if you care about my mission, you're going to give to my mission. But we want people to do it willingly like they just did. This is why we don't pass the plate around here. We don't want people feeling like, oh, here comes the plate. I guess I better put something in. People are watching me. Or go the other person, oh, let me me show off how much I got and drop it in. Make sure everybody sees it. Give me the pats on the back. We don't want either of that. We don't want you giving to get pats on the back. We don't want you given out of guilt or obligation. We want you to be willing. We want your heart to be moved. And if your heart's moved, you're going to find the box. If your heart's moved, you're going to take the time to write the check or do the text app, whatever you do, if your heart is moved. We don't want the guilt stuff. We want hearts moved to give to the mission of God, which, again, is the presence of God in all of creation. And look at verse 22. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds. Now, it goes on to, you know, all the other things that they gave. But they gave of their valuables. They gave of their Gold jewelry. This was expensive. Maybe it would be more impactful if we put it like this. I, I imagine they said the people of true life gave of their engagement rings, their wedding rings, the grandmother's heirlooms, their fine china, their, their silk pajamas, their silk beds. Anybody have silk pajamas anymore? They, they, their new cars, they broke them down into parts and sold the parts and gave them money. Like That's what it's saying. They gave of their valuables, the people in the wilderness who had very little security. They said, no, here, we want this tabernacle to be built. We don't want to go to the promised land without God's presence going with us. So we want this thing to be built. and So we're going to give. They gave it away so much so that look what happened. Jump down to chapter 36, verse 3. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So they kept it coming, they kept it coming. Verse four, so all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, check this out, check this out. The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. They're like, Moses, we don't need any more. We don't need any more of the people's stuff. Then Moses gave an order and sent this word throughout all the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. (laughs) And so the people were restrained from bringing more. Because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Imagine that. Hey, guys, you need to be restrained. You're giving too much. You need to stop. You need to stop. You need to stop. Stop the giving. Shut it down. Hold on. Like, imagine that. Imagine that. They had enough. Gave they did it, not for applause, not for pats on the back. No one person is celebrated here. It's a bunch of people doing an everyday habit of grace, doing something that might seem mundane. You know, you take off your gold, who's gonna notice? H- how is this little bit gonna count? But all together, all together, it had an impact. All together, it had an impact. You and I, we, we tend, we live in a culture that looks for the big splash, you know? we. We want to make the big splash. And sometimes God's like, just do a little bit. Just do what you can. Make the sacrifice, the small sacrifice. You're not going to be celebrated for it. People may not even know. But together, together, it's an ocean that impacts the world. When all my people lean into this one habit of grace. We are still to give regularly, cheerfully and willingly for the building of the new tabernacle, which is the church. We see this all throughout scripture. We see this in the New Testament. We see this in the book of Acts when the, when the, when the church is born when the Holy Spirit fills the, the church. People selling their homes and giving the money saying, hey, here, apostles, use it as you see fit. Bringing it to the church because they're saying, this is the new tabernacle. This is, the, this is God's vehicle for making his presence known in the world. Now, I'm not leading up to a second offering today. Don't worry. I'm not, I'm not leading up to like, you know, this isn't the one day where, hey, i was pass the baskets. I just preached on this. It ain't happening today. But listen, Justin did mention the Great Commission offering that we're taking in two weeks. That is a one time a year where we take a second offering. And it's separate. It doesn't go, doesn't go to anything in True Life Church. It goes entirely to support missionaries around the world, especially in unreached parts of the world, to plant churches around the globe, to support relief aid efforts in places like Afghanistan. Last year we raised over 60 grand. Uh, My prayer, even though I don't know who gives what in our church, part of our policy, I don't know, but my prayer is that more people, more units, family units, would, would be part of this than they have been in the past. But do it willingly. Do it cheerfully. Do it because your heart is moved to see God's presence expanded throughout the globe to places where his presence is not known. So what can you give? Would you pray about it? Would you pray about it? Would you take the time to pray? That's why why we're fasting that same day in two weeks. Because we're like, God, I want to care about reaching the nations like you care about it. And my heart is too often not moved. Help me to be moved by this. I want to respond like the Israelites did. I want to say, yeah, yeah, here, take this, take this, take this. Get your presence to those parts of the world where less than two, less than one, less than 0.5% of the population have ever heard of you. I want them to hear about you. Take my little bit here. Take my little bit here. And let me just say this. Let me just say this. Because there are people in our church who struggle financially too. This isn't just about, you know, reaching the globe. It is. But we, the presence of God is here too. We want to care for each other like they were doing in the early church. And so, l- listen, it's Christmas time. Let, let, me, let, me, let me ask a question Now I might get criticized for later. Maybe it's a mistake for me to ask this question. It really could be. It could be wrong. Nobody looked at my notes this week. If you're here, it's Christmas time, and you are struggling financially, and, 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 and you are struggling to, to provide Christmas for your family this season, or maybe you're just struggling to pay a bill, would you stand up? Anybody else? I know it's weird. Okay, okay, okay. Anybody else? You guys can you guys can stay standing for a, for a second. I know, I know. You have to. It, it it might be it might be difficult, but go ahead. Just anybody else? All right. Look 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 around. It it it. Let's be praying. Because we're, we're a church community, right? We all go through hard times. Let's be praying for the folks who are standing. And if anybody feels led at any point over the next month, if you've got an extra wad of cash, slip it to them. You'll feel free to slip it to them. But at the very least, let's be praying for these families and for these folks. Because we don't want to just talk about giving money out there at the expense of people in here who are struggling. People have said it in the past, but well, what about our own people? So I want to make it very clear. If you're struggling, we want to help you. We, wanna, we want to help you. But sometimes we, we don't know. We don't know. And if you're watching online, you put it in a chat room. Say, hey, that's me too. And we'll look at the transcript later and see. So the people of God give regularly to the building of his tabernacle, his, 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 his church. All right, next, next habit. Number two. Found, we find this in uh, chapter 35, verse 30. Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. To cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. So Bezalel, get this. He is the first person where the Bible explicitly said he's filled with the Spirit. Bezalel. What is he? He's a craftsman. He's a construction guy. He's not, it doesn't even say that about Aaron the priest. It doesn't even say that about Moses. It's Bezalel. This, this artist, this craftsman is filled with the spirit of God. That's who Moses is talking about here. The, the craftsman who is charged with leading the way and building the tabernacle. The tabernacle is supposed to be a small scaled down version of the throne room of heaven. And this guy who's an artist, who's a craftsman, who, who's, you know, we might deem a blue-collar worker, filled with the Spirit of God to lead the way in the building of this thing. And it continues, verse 34. Uh, and he has given both him and a, a holyab son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan the ability to teach others, to help others learn how to do this. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers, in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers. All of them skilled workers and designers. These guys are filled with the Spirit of God to do what? To go to work on the tabernacle. You know what this tells me? You know what this tells me? That our secular work matters greatly to God. That's the second habit. The people of God regularly work hard by God's Spirit, even in, quote, non-spiritual work. These guys were craftsmen. They were engravers, designers. and guys said, no, I filled with the spirit to get to work on the tabernacle. Build my tabernacle. Everything that we're skilled at doing, you and I, can and should be done for God's glory, unto him. And and, and too often we separate spiritual from secular stuff. And we think, well, I want to make a big splash in the spiritual by doing something spiritual. I want to be like Billy Graham or whatever. Or, you know, I'm not preaching like Pastor Chris is, so what kind of difference am I making? These guys show us that you are called to make a difference. You are called to bring the presence of God to whatever workplace you uh, are stationed at. Whatever sphere of society, if you're a plumber, you're going into the house, and you're bringing the presence of God with you when you go in to fix somebody's plumbing. If you're doing mold remediation like Justin does, you're bringing the presence of God there. If you're a doctor like Tom is, you're bringing the presence of God to that workplace. You're changing the culture. You're you're bringing order to chaos. And many of you guys who are artists, you're bringing beauty to where there is no beauty. It is Greco-Roman paganism that separates spiritual from secular and says, this matters to God, this stuff doesn't. The God of the Bible says, oh, it's all mine, and I'm, I'm returning to renew this whole earth and my people are gonna show the world what heaven is like in every sphere of society. That's what we're called to do. Just like these guys, build a tabernacle, a reflection of the throne room of heaven, we're called to go out and bring, a re- bring heaven to earth. Show the world what heaven looks like in every sphere of society. So let me ask you this, do you believe that your work matters to God? Do you work hard at it? The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as, for work, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do, you, 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 you take care of your home, you do the laundry, you do the dishes, you, do you work hard at it? Or are you lazy and think, well, this isn't very spiritual, so I'm just going to cut corners. No, you work hard at whatever you're doing, wherever God stationed you. Do you, do you uh, show up late to work? Do you surf the internet too much? Are you flaky? Are you, are you somebody who follows through on what you say you're going to do? Are you lazy? Are you complacent? Do you teach others? Are you going out of your way to teach others to do what you're doing so that they can glorify God in their work as well? Whatever you do, work wholeheartedly as to the Lord. So that's the second habit. Let me, let, me, let me ask another question. If you're here, another stand-up moment, prepare yourselves. If you're here and you struggle with the idea that your work doesn't matter to God, it's not spiritual enough, it's not making enough of an impact for God's kingdom, if that's you, would you stand up? Okay, okay, all right. Okay. Okay. Two people for each question. Stay standing for a second. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you guys. Is there anybody else? Join them? Okay. Jesus, thank you for where you've put these two individuals. Thank you for where you've stationed them. I pray that you would fill them by your spirit with a renewed sense of purpose, a renewed sense of confidence that you've put them there so that they can be a representative of your kingdom, so that they can bring Uh, Heaven or earth in many ways, that they can uh, have an influence for you, bring glory to you where they're at. God, I pray that that renewed sense of purpose starts tonight, tomorrow morning, that there's a fresh excitement going in, doing the jobs that they do, even the tasks that maybe they don't even feel super skilled at, that they're like, no, I'm going to do this. The best to my ability, the best, uh, the best I can. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. That was the second habit. Everyday habits. Everyday habits. Again, I told you, they're, they're not that exciting. Next week, we'll talk about the exciting stuff. It's just everyday habits. Giving, working. God make uses it. God uses it. Here's the last one. Habit number three. We find this at the very beginning of chapter 35. Before the stuff about giving, before the stuff about working, chapter 35 opens with this. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does not, Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Oh, whoa. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. All right, so what's going on here? God's about to get them busy working and giving to build the tabernacle. But he reminds them, first and foremost, you better still keep the Sabbath day. You better still take that seventh day and set it aside as a day that you're gonna pause from your labor, you're gonna pause from your work, Because that Sabbath day, and we've talked about this at great length uh, earlier in in this study, but that Sabbath day is a way that they are marked off as distinct from the rest of the nations. See, the rest of the nations didn't think they could take a day off. They thought they had to be in control. They 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 had to provide for themselves. They couldn't stop. And God's like, no, no, no. You belong to me now. I'm going to care for you. The Egyptian slave masters didn't care for you. You didn't get a break. You didn't get the pause. You've been freed from slavery, and now you get to pause. And so you better pause, because the world is watching. And I want them to see that you are a people who can rest in me as your provider. And at this time, God was so serious about this, I was like, will you be put to death? Because at this time, God was shaping them and molding them to begin this journey as his people. This is the very beginning of the nation of Israel, following a God under this uh, new system, new way of life. It's like you have to remember that you belong to me. I provide for you. I'm your father, and you can rest. The rest of the nations don't believe that. They think they have to keep going, going, going. So this is the next one. The people of God regularly rest from their labor in the finished work of Jesus. Now again, I talked, uh, May 17th was the date when we talked about the Sabbath. Uh, And and, uh, you can listen to it on our website, on our archives um, so I can't go into the same amount of detail now. But suffice it to say, um, I don't believe we're commanded to obey the seventh day Sabbath in the same way anymore. Because Jesus showed up on the scene. He said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He said, everybody who, 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 who is burdened and heavy laden, come to me and you'll find rest for your souls. And then he went about breaking all the Sabbath rules. And he said, hey, the Sabbath was not made for man. Man was made, or... I reversed it man was not made for the Sabbath the Sabbath was made for man it was made so that they could be refreshed and he says you come to me he's he's the ultimate Sabbath the Sabbath day was a foreshadow just like the tabernacle is a foreshadow of Jesus the Sabbath day is a foreshadow of Jesus as our ultimate Sabbath rest we get to rest in the Lord we get to rest in Jesus And it's not any old kind of rest. The rest of the world will tell you to, you know, do self-care and and, and whatnot. But oftentimes what that ends up being for us is just escape and numbing. We're not truly resting in the Lord and what Jesus has accomplished for us. Because through the cross and through his resurrection, he's purchased this new life for us that we don't have to earn anymore. We don't have to strive. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to prove our worth in the world through our work and through our labor. We don't have to find our identity in our activity. We don't have to uh, uh, end the day looking at our to-do list and go, oh man, I didn't cross everything off. I'm a failure. Oh man, uh, this day was so chaotic. I did not have it together. I'm a failure. No, Jesus has proven himself on our behalf. And so when the rest of the world looks at us, and this is why it's a habit of grace that's meant to help us as a people with God's mission, because when the rest of the world looks at us, they should see a peace and a calm that they don't have. Do they see that when they look at you, or is you are you as hurried and harried as the rest of the world? Especially this time of year. Are you guys crazy as the rest of the world is this time of year? Or is there a peace, a settled calm about you that the world can see? True rest in God will keep us working hard at our jobs, but doing it for the right reason. If we're finding our rest in God, if we're finding our rest in the finished work of Jesus... It's going to prevent us from being lazy with our jobs and our work on one hand. Or being workaholics on the other hand. If we're finding our rest in Jesus, it's going to help us to give of our resources in the right way. Instead of hoarding it on one extreme. Or doing it for the pats on the back on the other extreme. Finding our rest in Jesus is how we do everything else in balance, effectively, with the right motives. And, and like I said, I, I don't believe the seventh-day Sabbath is, is, is a command for us to observe. However, I do think that if we're finding our rest in Jesus, our, our soul's rest in Jesus, it will affect our schedule and how we spend our time. And I don't know what that should look like for you. For me, it means every morning... Before I get busy, I have to get busy from a place of finding my rest in Jesus. Where I have to take time in his word, in prayer, to get my soul resting in him. Because it doesn't naturally rest in him when I wake up in the morning. Anybody else? I'm thinking about the, oh, I've got to get this done and get that done and deal with that. My mind's going, going, going. So I've got to find my rest in him first thing. And it's a habit, and sometimes it's a challenging habit, but it's a habit that I'm thankful for because my day is different if I don't have that time with him. I also, for me, I do take a 24-hour period once a week where what I do physically, the labor that I do physically and mentally, I take a break from those things. I don't think about those things. I don't check email. If right now, it's like mid-morning Saturdays till mid-morning Sundays, a 24-hour period. Just checking out a Sabbath day of sorts where I can focus my mind elsewhere and, and, and remember what God's done this past week and think about it. I usually try to take time like, God, what have you done this past week? Man, look at all these things. And I'll think about the upcoming week and some prayers that I have for the upcoming week. One thing that I do think that all of us need to lead into that is more clear-cut in Scripture, and that's gathering together on the first day of the week. We see this. We see the people of God starting to gather on the first day of the week. Even though many of them were Jewish and had a seventh-day Sabbath, they were still gathering on the first day of the week because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead. And they realized we are part of this new creation that Jesus has started And we're going to gather together to celebrate that and remember that in this broken world. In this broken world where things are not going well and we're tempted to find our identity and our worth and we're tempted to worry about who's going to provide and we're tempted to think if I stop working, the rest of the world's going to fall apart. They gather together on the first day of the week to remember, "Ah, that's right, we're part of something new. We can breathe. We can rest. We can go, (sighs) ah, Jesus has risen. And we're part of that now. His resurrection spirit's in us. And that's why we gather together on the first day of the week. That's why we're gathering together. It should be a day, a time when we're remembering together. (sighs) Yeah, I screwed up this week, but Jesus paid for that. I'm worried about such and such, but you know what? I've been adopted by the God of the universe. I get to call him father. He's going to take care of that. I don't have answers for everything. I got decisions to make. I don't know which way to go, but I belong to the one who does have all the answers. And he's guiding me and he's leading me, and even when I make mistakes, he's going to redeem it all. Ah, that's something to rest in. That's something to rest in. And I want to challenge those of you, perhaps, who, are, who, who, are, who watch online. Um, I want to I make one more group feel awkward, perhaps. Um, if you're watching online for health reasons, then yeah, keep, keep, keep at it. But if you've drifted into convenience and, you know, laziness, you're watching online because it's just easy, I want to challenge you to come back and gather with us. Come back and gather with us. Because listening to a sermon by me, watching us is different than being together with us. God's people have been gathering on the first day of the week since the first century, and it wasn't always convenient because many of them only had the seventh day off. They would have to gather early in the morning before they went out to the fields or later at night when they were done. They didn't have the 10 a.m. service. David Guzik said this, Our rest in the finished work of Jesus is never to be eclipsed by our work for God, When workers for God are burnt out, they have almost always allowed their work for God to be bigger in their minds than his work for them. That's why we gather, to remember his work for us, to remember what he's done for us. Our giving and our generosity and our working hard at our jobs, all of that needs to flow out of a place of rest in what God's already done for us. God doesn't need us to do those things, he's invited us to be part of it. He's invited us to be part of it. When workers for God are burnt out, they've almost always allowed their work for God to be bigger in their minds than his work for them. Jesus was busy, it ain't about busyness. Being burnt out is not about busyness. Being burnt out is about you've taken too much on, trying to please people or find your worth in other things. And forgetting that Jesus has paid it all. And you belong to Him now. You belong to Him now. So since all of us probably struggle with this one, I'm gonna invite the band up and that's how we're gonna end. We're gonna sing, but I, I want go ahead, can you guys can come on up smaller band today? Um, as we sing, remember the purpose of singing. so that the words that we're singing about God would inflame our hearts to where he is bigger, what he's done for us is bigger than whatever we're doing for him. He's bigger, his provision is bigger than whatever we're providing for other people, whatever decisions, whatever things we're trying to figure out, whatever problems we have that are unresolved, whatever hardships we're facing, his provision, his goodness, what he, what, he, what he accomplished for us is bigger, and we don't often feel it, do we? So I want to pray for all of us now as we sing. Can you stand with me? Sorry. <laughs> That's all good. God, I don't know everybody here who has trusted in you as Savior in the work of Jesus. But for those who have, I pray that they can rest in that work a little bit more after tonight. They've got nothing to prove. They've got nothing to prove. They're free from having to earn your favor. They can rest in your favor because they are clothed with The righteous robes of Jesus, when you look at them, you see the righteousness of Christ. They don't have to be in control because you're in control and they belong to you. They don't have to worry about pleasing everybody. All they have to do is be faithful to you. For those who are dealing with any guilt or shame from past sins, current struggles, I pray that they could just confess that to you, receive forgiveness, and walk out of here joyful that you have cleansed them, that you're faithful to forgive and cleanse us. Everything we need is found in you, and we get it all because of what Christ has done. And if there's anybody here who has not trusted in you yet, Jesus, I pray that you would move in their hearts, open their eyes to see you for who you are, not a moral teacher, not one of many prophets but the son of god the bread of life the way the truth and the life the alpha the omega the beginning the end their source in your name i pray amen all right let's 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 sing let's let him Inflame our hearts.